Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The amazing spider-talk The amazing spider-talk Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for a special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between three fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, today we're going to be doing something a little different than what we usually do. We're going to be talking uh, about the yet-to-be-released animated feature film, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and we're going to be doing it in spoiler-free fashion And we're so excited to be doing this with you. We're actually bringing in a really high-end special guest. Uh, We're going to be talking to film editor extraordinaire and friend of the podcast, Alan Schersel. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show here. Very much for having me, gentlemen. And uh, I would like to point out that that's film editor as in person who edits like reviews of films rather than person who actually edits film, which is a very different skill set. But my God, this is a well-edited film. I will just get that out of the way now. <laughs> no spoiler. Weighing in early. So um, we are going to uh, get into the film in, in just a moment. Let's start off this conversation by uh, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to pose it to you, Alan. Uh, so Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse had a lot of hurdles to pass as a film. It has to prove that it can operate alongside the other contemporary Spider-Man films in the MCU. It has to prove that Sony should be trusted with this license, especially after the past decade. I would say including Venom. It has to prove that we can care about Spider-Man characters that aren't Peter Parker And it has to prove that in the shadow of live-action Spider-Man films, that animation can be an equally compelling format to see these characters brought to life. Do you think that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse proves that Sony was right to head down this path and that they could pull all these things off? The crazy thing is that it does all of that so well that it just seems obvious in retrospect that this was the way to go. It, it, this movie is just it's done with this grace and you know I, I it's weird to say ease for a movie that moves so fast that has so many you know aggressive cuts and surprising visual techniques but this movie just I, it feels like it trusts its audience uh, and is rewarding its audience consistently in a way that is a generation removed from the mainline Marvel Universe movies which looks stiff and stayed by comparison even something as as a lively and vibrant as Spider-Man Homecoming looks compared to this like i don't know an episode of as the world turns <laughs> like the the 
remember how when Iron Man 2 came out and it so weaselly slowly walks you through the shared universe concept like this might just be too much for all of us to take. So we're going to have Sam Jackson really slowly dole out the detail. Handed out. Or remember when uh, Batman versus Superman, when Wonder Woman is looking at folders on a computer of all the other characters just to let <laughs> us know they're coming. This movie like just. It understands that audiences are willing to roll with anything so long as it's awesome. And so it just does it. It just seizes every, you know, multiverse, uh, you know, Dan Slot, Spider Geddon, whatever you want to call it, you know, continuity craziness, just throws it together, asks us to roll with it. And, you know, the crowd I saw it with at a press screening was it was a large audience of normal people and then like 30 film critics. And you could just tell nobody in that crowd from the six-year-olds to the 60-year-olds was confused by all these new Spider-Men. They were just rolling with it, eating it up like a puppy eats puppy chow if you feed your puppy, uh, you know, such mass market, not very good for them dog food. (laughs) It's funny because I've been complaining about the Marvel movies for a while now that they have seized the popular culture's attention, but then not really gone there with it until I think maybe like Avengers Infinity War. They were not willing to get weird enough. You've got like an Ant-Man movie, but then they feel like, oh, in order to validate Ant-Man, we've got to throw the Falcon into this in some way. You know, like they they just feel like they're they're both aware that they're the most popular thing, but then not really willing to take risks with that. Um, and this movie, to me, it embraces what comics are best at, which is like what you said, being weird, rolling with the punches, and presenting you something awesome. Um, so, like, this movie feels like of two different worlds. It's like it took the 20 years of, of comic movies to get us to this point, but it also seems like the most obvious thing that should have been done from the beginning, which is just make a comic book movie look like a comic book. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would also throw in there, I mean, you know, Dan, I talk about this a lot on the show when we talk about the movies, this like whole idea where I feel like, you know, with the live action movies, that there's like always this like inherent shame about the comic books with these movies, you know, like, well, we're, 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 we're higher art than that. And, you know, I feel like this movie doesn't embrace that shame uh, you know, it obviously embraces the comic book element of it. And, you know, we're not, Again, it's like, you know, I sometimes feel like then people will come back at me and say, well, what do you want? Like a strict adaptation of a comic book. And this is not a strict adaptation of a comic book. I mean, these are different stories and different spins on these stories. But at the same token, like from a Spider-Man standpoint, I feel like this is an inherently better, truer to character Spider-Man story than we've ever had in any of the live action movies. Well, let's not forget Spider-Man 2. <laughs> well, but that that's probably the closest you'll get to an adaptation of a comic book, Spider-Man 2. Oh, that's a good way to think of it, yes. And yeah. this is this is like an adaptation of a crazy crossover. Right. But meanwhile, it nails the character at the heart of all of these different stories. You know, like the, the Peter Parker Spider-Man here is as Peter Parker Spider-Man-y as you could possibly want. Like, he's got a compelling story with a great beginning, middle, and end, and so does Miles, and so does just about everybody involved here that has any kind of, like, big, larger role. And I don't know if it's a spoiler to say or not, but the all the other characters you've seen advertised in the movie play a much smaller role than you might think, but just enough to whet your appetite. They don't overstay their welcome, Yada yada, but like everybody here has got a great story that I dare say is often better than their comic book counterparts in a way that 
uh, crossover books rarely, if ever, do. Like, rarely do you read a crossover in comics that tells a compelling story for everybody involved. And in that regard, this far outpaces those, which had me even more excited about it. And I would even go a step further and say the same with the villains. And, I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot over the years, Dan, on the show, that, I mean, you know, in the Marvel movies, the villains always seem to be lacking. And, you know, I think here's an instance where, you know, the villains work. And they're, they're characters that we have seen in other forms, uh, either in Spider-Man movies or in other Marvel things. But, again, I kind of feel like these are more truer, kind of more emotional iterations of these characters that make you kind of embrace the complexities of these characters and what makes them so great, why they why they became such superstars in the comics in the first place, because of how they're used here in this movie. I was trying to think on, on the train ride home why the villains felt so different and right here in a way they don't in a lot of the live action films. And I, I think it's just really simple. I think it has something the very particular thing to do with animation, which is you're not hiring uh, Jamie Foxx for this. You know, you don't have to give Jamie Foxx 30 days of work to justify Jamie Foxx's price. So there's several villains who appear in this film, several Spider-Man villains who you know and might be surprised turn up. And they don't each get a long, complicated backstory or scenes of themselves becoming evil. They're already up and running. They're already bad guys. And we do find out why the main bad guy is doing what the main bad guy is doing. And it's emotional and it's a quick punch. But... You know, you don't get like he's not given 20 percent of the movie. We don't have a Spider-Man three situation where you're jumbling together, juggling together all these scenes of all these villains that none of them get enough time to really develop them. This movie just trusts you know who the Green Goblin is. And we oh, I'm sorry. Uh, he's in the first 10 minutes. It's okay. <laughs> and that we don't need to explain it. It's it's like when uh, Rhino shows up at the end of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, like, you know how that felt like, oh, finally, we're getting the beginning of a good Spider-Man movie? Because it just trusts that, okay, here's our dude in the Rhino suit. That's all you need to know. Let's go with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that also kind of goes along with, like, uh, Miles and his story as well. Like, you could have done a version of this where you get the whole ultimate Peter Parker thing, but they just so effortlessly catch you up on what Miles' universe is with a lot of great shorthand, and it makes you invest in this character so much more than I've ever felt about Miles in the comics. And I, I think the villain thing goes with the hero thing is that they both are operating on the same thematic idea um, and, and the same kind of moralizing that is at the heart of this story. And that forms the background backbone of Miles' story. And I found that Miles' story, he finally makes sense to me as a character in this medium. Uh, it's like, great. Like, just ad adapt this Miles as the new Miles in the comics. Like, I don't think anyone would complain. Yeah, I mean, it also demonstrates that you don't need Brian Michael Bendis to completely, you know, monopolize Miles to get good stuff out of him. <laughs> <laughs> There's no series I'm looking more forward to than you know the Saladin Ahmed's uh, Miles series coming up. That that is the comic I cannot wait for, and I would just hope it maybe it's closer to this. But uh, you know we're saying closer to this just because 
I, I don't want to step on the ultimate spins toes here, but you know, the Bendis as miles has lacked direction, you know, pretty much since like his second arc. And a lot of this movie feels like it's a rebuke from within the walls of Sony of almost every decision they made in the two, the amazing Spider-Man films, you know, starting with the bafflingly stupid choice to give us Spider-Man's origin story again, back in the amazing Spider-Man one, this movie in the first, like Three minutes lets you know we're not doing that. Everybody in the world knows who Spider-Man is already, and they could just give you the gist and get up and running. And then one thing I really love in the movie is they kind of use that same technique, that same very quick fleet, let us – you know who this is. Let's just, here's the story. Here's the basics. Let's go to introduce the other, you know, Spider-Man from across the multiverse. And that is just terrific fun. You know, the audience is just seems so willing to roll with that. It's just basically the, you know, the first page of all-star Superman from Grant Morrison over and over again, but it's a technique that works. And I, I wish it was just a technique that every movie and TV show, which is do already. <laughs> like, like why we, we know, like, I feel like most people, are invested in these characters to some degree, and they're not coming to these movies or TV shows or whatever to see an origin story. So just just get it done in six frames. You know what I mean? Like why are we why are we spending an hour of a movie going through these these paces over and over and over again? <laughs> it's what I found so refreshing about the Lego Batman movie because it was like here's a million Batman villains that you know all of them. And we don't have to explain to you. You finally get a Batman movie that can feature a dozen villains. And anybody who knows good Batman comics knows that the best ones are when he's facing, like, 12 rogues as set up by the Calendar Man or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I would kill for a Batman movie that, like, had, you know, uh, Killer Croc, the Joker, the Riddler, the Scarecrow, and all of them in it. You know? Like, why not? Like, why are we holding back at this point? Yeah, that was my big complaint when I reviewed The Amazing Spider-Man 2 over at uh, The Village Voice, which is now defunct, thank you, uh, which was like the, the the posters for that movie said right on him, his greatest adventure begins. Like how – or no, his famous adventure begins. Like how long is it going to be before it actually is? Going. We're still starting this late in. And, you know, this one, this is an origin story. It's the origin of Miles. And, uh, you know, it is an adventure that for him takes some time to get going. But you never feel like you're not getting there yet. You never feel like, you know, the, the old Simpsons joke about the fireworks factory. This movie starts at the fireworks factory and just hangs out in the fireworks factory for 100 <laughs> minutes with fireworks blowing up in your face. And I'm not exaggerating this. I'm not just saying this as a, a Spider-Man stan. This is the best superhero movie since The Dark Knight. Maybe the best and most exciting ever. Certainly the most that's like a comic book. And you both said in the last the last uh, things you both just said, you both each said a key word that I think uh, is very essential to why this movie works so well. It makes this movie different. Uh, Mark, you said frame. This movie has comic frames. Every image of this movie, this movie cuts a lot. It has, it's just overwhelming visually. I want to just pause this movie every 10 seconds and study it like I would a comic book. It's just that visually arresting, and they take all the liberties that a great comics artist would take. You feel the sensibility of the, of the individual creators and uh, animators in this in a way you usually don't in animated movies these days. The other word that I think is really key to this movie is – Mark, uh, Dan, you mentioned the Lego, Lego Batman. This has takes all the license that the mashup craziness of those Lego movies, you know, offered, smashes them into the frames of comic books and makes something that is like just so much better than the Lego movies. <laughs> and 
the first movie since Ang Lee's Hulk to actually try to deal with the comic book form. And, you know, this obviously does it much better uh but you know you get you get some comic book frames in this you get word balloon you get thought balloons you get narrative narration uh boxes it, it's so it's the screen splits in the frames it's so exciting and how those narration boxes i don't want to spoil it are used is so in line with spider-man too like if you guys know what i'm what i mean um listeners at home you'll discover this on your own i love that you said how like you know kind of much it incorporates the comics. One of the things that I was blown away by is how much lip service this movie has for the creators themselves and the history of comics, whether it be, you know, the design of Kingpin being like a, a Bill Sinkowicz design, you know, mm-hmm. all the way down to, you know, Rico Renzi's Pink Skies from Spider-Gwen making an appearance and to their names appearing on comics. I've never seen a movie that is so in love with the people behind comics like this one before. Yeah, I mean, like, actually, that was, like, one of the things that kind of both surprised and delighted me was just kind of the role that comics themselves played in this movie. I mean, not even just through the, some of the Easter eggs that you kind of alluded to, Dan, but just, I mean, like you said, there are, there are actual physical comics of Spider-Man that we know and love that make their ways into this movie, and you're just kind of like, like you said, it, it, it just it just has such a respect and a reverence for the medium, and it goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning of this conversation. You know, whereas I feel like a lot of the live action stuff, you know, treats treats the comics like it's you know like embarrassing kid stuff that they don't you know we're, that we're better than, and this this just gives it a big hug and and lets lets the people know who are there who recognize what they're looking at as being okay and and part of it. You know, like this is why you're here. This is what draws you to something like this. Because it doesn't just embrace the narrative possibilities of comics, you know, the complexities of crossovers or, you know, multiple universes or having a spider ham in your universe. But it, you know, I mean, the Marvel movies, the mainline Marvel movies have gotten better, I think, over the years at their set pieces, at getting wilder, at getting more daring, at, you know, digging into the, you know, Kirby, Kirby Ditko madness. You know, you see some Kirby dots occasionally, but, you know, it wasn't up until like Thor Ragnarok that they really allowed themselves to go nuts. Even Doctor Strange is a relatively restrained film visually, and lots of like the Captain America movies just look like they were filmed down at like, you know, an office complex, you know, or like let's let's have the big fight in the airport parking lot. Like that is <laughs> that's a great sequence. I love that sequence. And you know, I know, you know, Marvel is famous for being the world outside your window, but I mean, come on, guys. Sometimes it just looks like you're at a highway exit. And you had the animators put some superheroes on top of it. Uh, This movie is, it could be, it's poster after poster, splash page after splash page, but always with clear, fluid action. Just, it's, it's, it's madness. It's mind boggling. It's the first Marvel movie that, honest to God, I think you should see it high. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) They do things with Ben Day dots in this movie that have to be seen to be believed. Uh, if you guys know what I'm talking about. But uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about is alongside like the, in the history of comics, I loved how much this movie embraced the pop culture around Spider-Man. You know, like it's not only the 1967 cartoon, all the way down to the Spider-Man popsicle stick. You know, it makes an appearance in this movie. And like just to, to, to acknowledge that Spider-Man is more than just a comic character or a movie series He's this whole empire of creativity and creative thought and product licenses 
it doesn't feel like a movie like this could very much feel and it's from Avi Arad is the producer who likes to sell toys. A movie like this could really be like a, a toy selling device and I'm sure they're going to sell a ton of toys, but it never feels like a merchandise grab. It always feels like this is a celebration of Spider-Man's impact on the broader world. Damn, it's not the Ewoks. You know, he has every reason to be here. Yes, I was at Target last weekend and saw a Spider-Ham toy. But yes, I wanted it, but did not buy it. But <laughs> it's not it's not cynically included. You know, the other thing, you know, this we're, we're I, I'm going on and on about just, you know, what a visual extravaganza this movie is, what like a movie to see in a theater that really, you know, benefits from that widescreen. You know, I mean, it, it just it's a thrilling film to watch in a way that a lot of the Marvel movies only are during their best set pieces. This is the entire way through. It never lets up. But for all that. It also has the most heart and feeling and what feels to me just like specific, believable texture of life of any of these movies since Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this even when we talk about the comics, Dan, you know, the, the moments, are they earned? And I feel a lot gets earned in this movie, right? There are scenes between Miles and his father that are like, they're heartbreaking, like, you know, but also... Like you know, beautifully human, but also incorporating Spider-Man elements to to push them over the map. You know, it doesn't feel like two different worlds where there's the human element and the superhero element. It's all fused together so beautifully. Yeah, I mean, like nothing. I haven't seen a movie, and I mean, you know, no disrespect even to Spider-Man Two, Alan, that quite gets the interpersonal relationships that exists in the Spider-Man universe as well as this one does. I mean, you know, whether we're talking about Miles and his family or Peter and his loved ones, I mean, you know, or just the the different spider characters even with each other. I mean, like there are just so many layers of relationships here. The 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 relationships that the villains have with others, you know what I mean? Like it, it's it, it it just gets all of those nuances and really hammers home and makes you feel the emotions of these characters in a way that the live action movies just, just miss the boat on, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Spider-Man 2, uh, a movie I love above all the other Spider-Man movies, except for this one was very much committed to giving us the feeling of, you know, the first 120 issues of Spider-Man, uh, and not really anything beyond that. This movie is giving us the feeling of like, just all of it com- mashed into one. You know, you know, we have this idea, well, I I do, that that it's almost a surprise that the the big two comic publishers still continue, you know, putting out monthly print pamphlets. You know, that they still bother. <laughs> I, I sometimes think of them as something like a loss leader for uh, you know, the the entertainment behemoths that that own these companies. Uh, but I mean, this movie really demonstrates the incredible value of putting the smartest, most creative people on the books, even if those books don't make a whole lot of money, because what you've got going all through this is the best ideas of Bendis, the best ideas of slot and gauge. And, uh, obviously the best ideas of the spider Gwen creators whose name I just forgot. And also it's complicated because who came up with the original idea, but you know, it is all their best ideas. And the look of, of the spider Gwen comics themselves really is a defining of a lot of this film here. They drew upon that so much that this movie would not exist without comics that maybe 50,000 people bought. Maybe if if, if they're lucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny because like if you had asked me like three weeks ago, 
if there's one element of the Spider-Man mythos that I could get rid of, I would have told you Spider-Verse. Like, I just don't understand mm-hmm. why Spider-Man needs to be a multiversal character who, you know, travels around time. People wear web wristwatches and they're fighting the inheritors with secret scrolls. And thankfully, I think we didn't get the inheritors in this. Um, but, like, it, to me, it was all worth it for this. And I think it's because this story finds a hook to that multiversal idea and anchors it in something about like what it means to be Spider-Man in a way that those comics never did. And so it's, it's, it's again, like you said, I'm always surprised they continue to print comics because surely they're making maybe a little bit of money off of it. But in the grand scheme of things, they make more on one movie at Disney than they do in every comic that they publish combined, you know? Uh, but like, you know, a couple of years ago, you couldn't even fathom like spider versus a thing. So you're right, Alan, uh, about that uh, whole idea. I will say that a few years ago when I first moved out to L.A., I got invited by a friend of mine to go on the Sony lot. And I got invited into the, uh, the man behind the creative development of the Spider-Man series at Sony, which, like, I was a little kind of fraught about doing because I so – I found the Amazing Spider-Man movies to be problematic. And so I was expecting to kind of go into this office and bite my tongue a little bit regarding, uh, you know, the creative ideas behind the series, because obviously I would want to be friends with this person or have a relationship with them. I went up to this guy's office, and I opened the door, and every inch of the office was covered in Spider-Man comics, new and old, toys. It was the most Spider-Man-y place I'd ever been in my life. I would not have guessed that. Yes, and um, this guy had long boxes that we leafed through looking at old Ramita issues, and, you know, I, by, at a certain point, it became obvious that I could express my real opinion to him about, like, the direction that Sony had taken the character. Um, and this is, like, before – I think it might have even been before Homecoming. So, like, I told him, I'm like, I was really disappointed in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. And he mentioned this movie, and this is, like, five years ago. Uh, and I said, I had heard about this animated movie that's coming down the pike. I'm really excited about it because I always – dreamed of getting a Spider-Man animated movie because, of course, it just seemed so obvious. Like, I want to see the character move in an animated fashion. He said, I don't think you're going to be disappointed with this movie. They've been working on this thing from all different angles. And he let me know, like, Miles Morales, that's a guy to keep an eye on. And this is like, what, like a year or two after Miles is even a thing? So they were thinking at this, about this for so long ago. It makes me really wonder at what point did the Spider-Verse element really become involved in this. Now, this guy left the company mm. two months later, um, and you know I, I lost track with, with him. But uh, it's interesting that there's a guy who's so hardcore comics there backing it up, and I wonder what influence it had on, on this movie ultimately. Can feel that love all through this. You know, one thing. There, there's two other thoughts I have right offhand. You know, kind of about what you were just saying. The first is that this feels like the difference between this and the other movies, even Homecoming, which I enjoy a lot, and I think there's a lot to recommend it. And I love that Spider-Man and Homecoming is played by uh, like a Michael J. Fox who can do Cirque du Soleil. But <laughs> what I, you know, this movie reminds me of 
like the first times, like after Burn and and Mackie had done a bunch of Spider-Man issues and it just been about as boring as the book had ever been. And suddenly they put JMS on and suddenly got somebody they're trusting the creators who actually are going to take some risks. And it feels like Sony's trusting creators who will do that and then letting them push it where they want to push it. There's this movie could have failed big. This could have been a disaster. We're talking about it like almost as if it's just of course it's great they did all these things no this could have been the biggest dumbest mess ever but the other really the key thought i that i've been turning over in my head and i think i kind of want to say this as a declarative rather than a question i think that animation is probably the best uh televisual medium for these characters I think it is a. I think it works much better when it's done seriously, and they don't just you know fall. They don't fall into the traps of so much animated uh, you know uh, movies that all kind of look the same and feel the same. You know when when they when they embrace it and try something unique and new and really embrace the kind of cartooning aspect of comics. I, I think this is the most natural medium for these characters, and certainly for this story. Well, what do you think is the imp- the impact of this movie going to be? I mean. It operates an interesting place because suddenly you've got, you know, two conflicting or now maybe even three conflicting Spider-Man universes between the Venom movie, this kind of animated thing (laughs) and the MCU, you know, like what, like who's to say how well this movie will do in the box office. I anecdotally from my students, they said, oh, that's a movie. It's not a TV show. Like, I wonder if there's going to be confusion in, in that regard, but then I also wonder, like, how many different Spider-Man universes can we sustain? I mean, Venom is making a ton of money. I would have told you that was going to tank, but clearly not. So they're going to be full steam ahead. Like, what do you think, as like a film critic? Like, wh- where do you, wh- wh- what do you think about the future of all this? Nobody was confused about Lego Batman. Nobody was confused about what that was. You know, nobody is confused about Batman Returns versus Christopher Nolan's Batman versus Adam West Batman. I, I, you know, we've never had these things coming so fast and so close together, but this is a different medium. This is a different medium than the live action, you know, uh, Spider-Man films. So I, I, I just... You know, you don't see any other character as often as Spider-Man on Halloween. You know, you walk among a bunch of kids dressed up. You know, there's every sixth one is Spider-Man. I, I just don't think that's going to be a problem. It, in fact, you know, one thing I was thinking about during this was that, you know, they could make, you know, one of these every two years, you know, forever without worrying about the actors aging or getting bored or no longer wanting to get their abs for that one Marvel shirtless scene that is required of each of them. You know, how much longer is Paul Rudd going to do those crunches? I don't think he wants to. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, the Paul Rudd comes to mind because remember how in Ant-Man and the Wasp, you learned that for pretty Pretty much the entire time since Civil War, Ant-Man has not had a single adventure. That happens because they're locked into this one actor playing the part, and he can't do two movies a year or whatever. And that is nonsense. Ant-Man should have had a thousand stupid adventures in that time. These characters in this movie, they can have adventures forever. Uh, it's not tied to a lot of the nonsense that you know makes uh, making movies much more complicated than it needs to be. I honestly, I think this movie is going to be huge. You know, I was at a, I was, <laughs> I was at a family thing this last weekend, and when people under the age of like twenty five found out I'd seen Spider Verse already, I was mobbed. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would kill to see more movies of this with Sp- Spider-Ham uh, opening short films a la like Looney Tunes. Oh, like, that's a great idea. It, that just needs to happen. You know, you've got right. him. He comes out of the circle. It gives you the thumbs up. And, you know, and you're off on a Spider-Ham adventure. Well, well let, like, me ask you, let me ask you guys. I want to I lock you in here, guys. I think this movie is going to be huge and will make much more money than Homecoming. What do you think? That? Mm, what do you think, man? What, you, you're, you're more the movie person. I don't know because, honestly, Homecoming didn't make a ton of money. Uh, you know, it was – I mean it was better than Amazing Spider-Man 2, but it wasn't an all-time box officer. But I also – like I know that I'm going to see this thing a half dozen times, you know, uh, in various states of inebriation, uh, as you implied. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a hard thing to say. You know, animation, it could be The Incredibles and make a billion dollars. I, I don't quite know. Uh, you know, like th- those movies make a lot, but I, I wonder if they're – Again, I, just going anecdotally for my students, because they tend to be a good sample, you know, is, is there a true understanding of what this is, you know, from people? And the marketing is so pushed miles. Maybe that brings in new crowds, but maybe it also confuses people. Um, I hope it makes a ton of money, because I want these until the day I die. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I wish I could say declaratively, but I really don't know. If I can just jump in on something, though, Dan, I mean kind of related to what we've been talking about here. Something else that I find really fascinating about this, I mean, we've just been talking for the last few minutes about, you know, oh, would it be great if we, you know, in future movies, we have Spider-Ham intros or this, or, you know, we can have more adventures. And I think this is another, you know, kind of key thing in terms of comic book movies in general as the, you know, with the, in this medium. Like, this is the first comic book movie in, I'd say, at least a decade where, the the whole idea of this having this larger, broader universe with all these other franchises was was not being pushed upon, and yet the possibilities for branching out from this movie are endless, and they didn't have to push it at all. Like it's all going to be so organic, and I think that's another key to what made this movie so great. Like versus the what we've been seeing in, from both DC and Marvel um, with the live action, this 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 idea of having to build this universe because you have to have this you know, multi-billion dollar franchise that leads to 11 other movies. There was none of that here. None of of that is in your face. And yet there's so many different ways we can go with these movies going forward. um, That's going to just feel really innate and organic and wonderful. And at the same time, that post-credit sting might be the most exciting thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Don't you can't even come close to talking about it. Should we talk real quick about the the uh, other you know Spider Men and women from across the multiverse? Let's talk briefly like, I mean, about them. Yeah. Like, I, well, well, oh, what I wanted to say this one other superlative. You know, I, I when I'm watching a movie, I'm always trying to think, what is the thing this movie does better than any other movie? This, I'm going to make a bold claim about this movie before I briefly address uh, Spider Gwen and Spider Man Noir. I think that this is the only comic book movie I can think of that is the best iteration of its title character in any medium. This is the best iteration of Miles Morales in any medium. Well, I think that's an easy thing to agree with based on our opinions of how Miles Morales has been handled. But but I think you're right. Like, uh, I think this movie gets Spider-Man, even if we're talking about Peter Parker's Spider-Man, it gets that Spider-Man better than any other movie. Like, you don't have to have any caveats about it. He looks like Spider-Man. He moves like Spider-Man. 
He makes jokes like Spider-Man. He's flawed like Spider-Man. Oh, yes. He's not the other Spider-Man. He is Spider-Man. Yes. I love... Or not Spider-Man, the other. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, there are a lot of, like, nods to this, that this is perhaps the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. But he's funnier than the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And Oh, you're talking about the Peter Parker character. Yes, I am. Yes. I, 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 I was wondering if they tried to get Tobey Maguire to, to voice him. They, they must have. They must have. Uh, but, but so uh, we, we have to address, you know, the other spider characters who, uh, you know, Noir, uh, Ham, and, of course, Gwen. And, you know, one thing that really surprised me was that they're not in the film as much as you might expect. But I thought each was absolutely impactful, used very well. Each got big laughs or big emotion. You know, I'm not going to say which got which, although you can probably guess. And, you know, they, they, the movie doesn't rely, I mean, it relies on your knowledge of past Spider Man continuity or just Spider Man in general, you know, to set everything up, but it doesn't rely on it too much. And, you know, I was surprised and a little pleased that it never goes to the, this is Gwen Stacy. She died well. It didn't. And what's also interesting is, in, and I don't want to get too specific, but in her backstory, they like gloss over stuff that would seem really important to mention. Like they show you Peter Parker turning into the lizard, but they never say, this is Peter Parker turning into lizard. They're just like, yeah, and my friend died. And you're like, like I know what that is, but our audience is going to know what that is? It doesn't, it doesn't well, matter. I think they're going to know in some future film because, I mean, the Spider-Gwen character is – I mean, she is a hit. I mean, she is – there is no doubt in my mind she's going to get some kind of sequel or something at some point. She had better. Oh, my God. What a great time to be a, a Spider-Man fan. Uh, what, what a great time to be a kid who's kind of interested in Spider-Man. This movie takes the the idea from that great Paul Jenkins issue that Spider-Man can be anyone and makes that its thesis statement and proves it again and again just beautifully. None of these spider they might not get as much screen time as Miles. None of them are less than him. Anyone who, you know, in, any, anyone can, can do it. And I just love that. You- and Miles doesn't appear as like a Mary Sue, right? He He's not like overly powerful like he is in the comics, right? He's got his camouflage. He's got his venom sting. But he has a weakness that seems really plausible and, mm-hmm. and really works well with the character. And... That had me so excited. Like, finally, this character feels like the, 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 the character that we met at the very beginning of his comic before it kind of went off the rails. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this you're, you're right. It says the thesis statement is anyone can be Spider-Man. There were times in this where I was like, did they just take dialogue straight out of Bendis' TED Talks? <laughs> you know how over the years you know there's been occasional debates like is peter parker jewish does peter parker like the mets or the yankees what is peter parker's favorite music you know you have you never have any idea about any of that stuff and that makes sense you know with an ongoing legacy character with 50 years of history but miles you know all that stuff you know all that stuff like the same way you knew that stuff about Marty McFly. And that's the way you build a movie character that people care about. And I, I just – I used the word texture earlier, and that is one of the things I think is so essential and key in this movie. It's not just that you know we have a Spider-Man of mixed race. 
Uh, it's that this movie, the creators and anybody who watches this movie knows everything about who this character is, what his culture's like, where he comes from, what he's into, what he's like around his friends, what he's like when he's uncomfortable. It's just all there and it's all believable. All you have to do is take a look around his bedroom, which is weirdly populated with brief images of DC characters. Did you guys notice this? No, I missed that. <laughs> There's like uh, like a kind of like a, a, a cropped Superman and Batman uh, images throughout the room. Uh, like next time you see the film, keep your eye open for that because he he's kind of betraying his roots in some way. <laughs> Maybe it was actually Supreme and uh, Moon Knight. No, Superior. I can't, what is that? Never mind. What's the guy's name who fights the Void and has the same story oh, the century. every time? The Sentry. Every time is the same thing. Well, I guess it sounds like we're all saying rush out to the theater to go see this thing. Did you guys, let me ask you about your theatrical experience. Did you see it in 3D? No. I, I saw it with you, Alan. <laughs> I, was just, I was Alan's plus one. It was great. It was the most romantic night of my life. there's nobody i would rather have seen it with but i mean this is the thing about this movie like we go this movie thinking okay we need to look for all these things because we're super spider-man geeks you know what this movie's for everyone i mean all the spider-man movies have been for everyone but this one truly is while still even more than the raimi films offering the spider-man geek so much more than you ever thought you were going to get in one of these movies i mean we got spider ham <laughs> and that's not even the like the end of it like i'm releasing i'm writing an article on all the references and easter eggs i found in the movie and i literally like burned through like 10 pages of my notepad that i brought <laughs> with me i've got over a hundred references i found so far and I can't wait to share it with everybody. Some really obscure stuff, like a Spider-Man costume that shows up in one issue in the Ex- <laughs> Exiles book. That's how obscure it gets. So these guys are hardcore fans. And, you know, I, there's one bit, there's one comic bit that uh, is so obscure and so goofy that it, it was just pure bliss that we understood what this thing is in the world is baffled. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit to, to really relishing that. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything more about it. All right, great. Well, uh, this has been a really fun conversation. Alan, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about this. Oh, it's been great fun. I mean, I know I'm not nearly as as uh, you know great a guest as when you had Jerry Conway on and talk about Amazing Spider-Man Two, and he was so polite about how they botched <laughs> the death of Gwen Stacy in that. You know, it's like just throw her off something, but no, she's dropping down a clock tower and getting ground up in gears like Charlie Chaplin, but a but a crappy version with terrible CGI, and you can't follow what's going on. And then when she's dead, you don't even know that she's dead because it's so terribly framed. Well, when they make a movie about the death of the villain. Voice, we'll have you on for that, and you can be polite. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thanks to Alan for joining us again. Mark, we got a lot of new stuff happening with the show. Next week, we'll be releasing our review roundups of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 6 and 7, as we move towards the start of Season 3 of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. Trust us, your patience will have paid off in spades by then. At least I hope so.
I, I think so, Dan. Uh, also, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week, where we've already got special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 10 and a roundup review of all of the various Spider Geddon books. Why wait to get all caught up in a few months? Remember, just for $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, fee book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time from Steve Lieber. And also, be sure to check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. Mark, I think we're going to call them our sister podcast. Not sure how they're responding to that, but we're going to keep doing it. Uh, as they talk about Spider-Man comics that celebrates the holidays. Uh, you know, every, it's that time of year again, everyone. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Dan. Yeah, and Spider-Man's a part of that. Even though we're kind of dubious on what his religion is, it's the holidays, Mark. Yes, we're just going to wish everyone, we're saying happy holidays from Spider-Man again, okay, Dan? There we go. All right, so plus we've also got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join, where we're always talking about Spider-Man in all his various forms, comics, toys, costumes, conventions. Come join us. There's a link in the episode's description for you to join us on that platform. Mark, we're on a lot of platforms, including Twitter. Can we find you on there? In fact, you can, Dan. You can find me at... Chasing ASM blog on Twitter. Of course, you can always order my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, The Perfect Holiday Gift, Dan. What about you? I'm going to order it for everyone in my family. Oh, my goodness. So, like, what is that, like three people or what? Yeah, (laughs) even my cats are getting a copy. Oh, I cannot wait for Archie and Jughead or whatever your other cat's name is to read to read that book. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll have to inform my wife that we're renaming the cat Jughead. I love. Wait, it. What is your What is your other cat's name? It's Archie and what? It's Owen. It's Owen. Archie and Owen. Okay, Archie and Bam Bam or whatever. All right, that's okay. That's okay. I I, I was at a friend's house this weekend, Dan, and their cat's name is Kingsley um, after Harry Potter. But I defaulted and called the cat Roderick. <laughs> and they all looked at me like, what? And Erin and actually knew what I was talking about, my wife. So, you know, I changed to one person. <laughs> now you got to test. The next time you go over there, you got to call it Daniel and see how real smart she really is. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that only gets brought up in issue 250 as a last-ditch effort to make this plot line work. Well, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter, too. I'm at, at SupSpiderTalk, where I'm kind of talking about Spider-Man all the time, all the live long day, and posting stuff about our show. You know, it's a good place to be. At least I think so. Uh, and so do a bunch of other people, I think. So, yeah. Uh, so, Mark, you know, our lasting memories, you know, whether it be talking about Roderick Kingsley or Daniel Kingsley and how they are or are not twins, all of this is tied together by one motto. Mark, what is our motto? Yes, uh, as as all of the people named after cats should know, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.